This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Have you heard The Message? An original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. All of season one is available now, so listen and find out why a 70-year-old alien recording seems to be killing people. Search for The Message on iTunes. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, an award season podcast from Vanity Fair and Panoply. I'm Katie Rich, the Hollywood editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with Vanity Fair's digital director, Mike Hogan. Hey, guys. And Vanity Fair's film critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. This week, we are freshly reacting to this glut of awards nominations. The Golden Globe nominations just went out minutes ago as we record. And then on Wednesday, the nominations for the SAG Awards, which was from the Screen Actors Guild. They're the two glitziest movie awards shows that aren't the Oscars, and the nominations can often tell us a lot about where the awards races are headed, but we're kind of wondering if they pulled it off this year. After that, we'll take a look at another set of awards that have been popping up everywhere lately, which are awards from critics, which range from organized groups like the New York Film Critics Circle to top ten lists like one from Richard Lawson. Uh, It's the one time of year when movie critics really matter, so uh, how'd they do this year? Finally, we'll go big before we go home, and in light of everything we've learned in the last few days, make our predictions for who will win Best Picture. So let's start with the Golden Globe Awards, which we are still reacting to basically in real time. Everyone loves the Golden Globes. They're a really fun awards show, and the nominations can often be super unpredictable. So, Mike, what kind of made your jaw drop the most this morning? Well, you know, it's like there's a go with your gut thing that I always have to remind myself. You know, you start to get overly cynical about these things and think, well, even though I didn't think that was such a great film or great performance, like it's awards friendly. And uh, it's really actually great and cool to see this best motion picture drama list. It's Carol, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, Room, and Spotlight. And, you know, at least two of those were, were we didn't predict Room or Mad Max. And and the reason I didn't predict them is because I just thought, well, even though they're better than the ones I'm predicting, they, those things seem more Oscar-friendly, or Room doesn't have the momentum that I thought it had, or you whatever it is. You your hopes up for these good movies. Yeah, and so you almost, you almost like set yourself up like, well, at least I'll be right, even though I'll be sad that they didn't get nominated. And here they are. So I feel like this is a really good list. And obviously, some of the big surprises that are, you know, may or may not be so great, Johnny Depp not showing up in acting, which is very surprising for the Golden Globes, since we you know, they do have a history of sort of handing a nomination to major, major movie stars, whether or not it's deserved. In this case, a lot of people felt it was deserved. Although the perception um, is that he was replaced by Will Smith, who is equally as huge a movie star, for, and he's in concussion. 
Yeah, and, and probably more fun to have at a party, let's face it. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's true, and it's great to see Will Smith in that lineup. One sad thing for me is no acting uh, nominations at all for Spotlight, which actually does confirm kind of what everyone's first reaction to Spotlight was, which was, oh, wow, it's a great ensemble thing, but no uh, standout performances. And yet over time, I think we've all sort of convinced ourselves, wait a minute, you really think about that Michael Keaton performance or that Mark Ruffalo performance, you know, it, it really does stick with you. But here, maybe they went more with the first reaction, which is this is more of an ensemble film than one where there's standout uh, acting performances. Yeah, it feels like they haven't they haven't set themselves up enough apart from the pack not to cancel each other's votes out. I think there are people voting for Michael Keaton and Mark Ruffalo and John Slattery and Leif Schreiber, who knows? But I, I think that's why Rachel McAdams, we'll talk about SAGs, but that's why Rachel McAdams got a SAG nomination because she's the one woman in the cast, but the men keep canceling each other out. And I think that um, the spotlight men not getting nominations in the supporting category, which is too bad because there are so many great performances in that movie, it did leave room for some awesome other nominations in that category. Paul Dano, Love and Mercy, who you know, a movie that, that Mike, you're, I know you're a huge fan of. You know, Mark Rylance was kind of a gimme, but Michael Shannon in 99 Homes, that's a movie that I think is fantastic and really got kind of overlooked uh, in, in this awards conversation this year. I think Andrew Garfield should be in there too. But um, And also Sylvester Stallone for Creed. I think, yeah. you know, he didn't get a SAG yesterday, which was kind of like put a dent in, in this kind of brand new Oscar campaign that he's on. And now it's back, you know, it's back in the, in the mix. So, yeah, there was no yeah. reason not to expect the Globes to go for Sylvester Stallone again. They're, you know, they're kind of known for nominating big stars over up and comers. But I'm just really happy to see Creed hanging in there. It's such a good movie. It's this great crowd pleasing movie. And if Sylvester Stallone is somehow the best shot at getting an Oscar, I think Michael B. Jordan deserves to be in the best actor conversation. But that's my little personal campaign. Uh, yeah. I know. you do. Wouldn't you rather, even though Stallone is so damn good in this movie and it is nice to see him rewarded, not only for a really sort of surprisingly moving performance, but also for, in a way, having the faith in Ryan Coogler. I, I read a great story about how Ryan Coogler came to Stallone and said, I've actually written this film. It's kind of based on my relationship with my father. Would you mind if we made a Rocky movie and would you mind starring in it? <laughs> and it's inc- it's awesome that Stallone was like, yes, let's do it. So you want to reward him for all that. But Michael B. Jordan is so great in it. But, you know, probably when Michael B. Jordan is 60, he'll be rolling in, in awards. So that's uh, kind of how it works. Hopefully it doesn't take that long. That's <laughs> crossing my fingers for that. But yeah, with Stallone, you can kind of reward the entire movie because he is the Rocky franchise. So you kind of get that uh, return to it. And uh, speaking of veterans who are coming back for, uh, you know, roles that play on their personas, I was really happy to see Jane Fonda make it in for youth for supporting actress. That category for me feels all over the place, especially at the Globes, because they decided that Alicia Vikander and Rooney Mara both had to compete as leading actresses and both of them made it in, which is great. So you get really interesting things like Jane Fonda in youth and Alicia Vikander for Ex Machina, which I think might be her best performance of the year. I've never met anyone new before. Only Nathan. Then I guess we're both in quite a similar position. Haven't you met lots of new people before? None like you. Hmm. So we need to break the ice. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes. What do I mean? Overcome initial social awkwardness. Yeah, I think she's fantastic in that movie. I mean, she's great in Danish Girl, but I but there's I just prefer Rex Machina. But I think there is an interesting thing with her where, you know, whoever is, if, if there is anyone even doing this, managing her sort of awards campaign on her, you know, on her team. This does pose actually something of a problem in mm. a weird way because, you know... 
people have definitely been nominated for a, for a lead and a supporting at the Oscars before. Holly Hunter did it. You know, a lot of people Julianne have done Moore it. Julianne Moore did it. Julianne Moore, yeah. But I don't know. I think it might it might kind of confuse the narrative a little bit to have her sort of floating around in both these movies. And then particularly the Danish girl, it's not really clear if she's going to be supporting at the Oscars or mm-hmm. not. So, so yeah, we'll see. But I think it's good news for her this morning, but maybe long term could, could pose some problems. Yeah, Mike, what do you think these last two days, the SAG Awards and the uh, Golden Globes have said for these category fraud, Alicia Vikander and Rudy Mara situations? Do you feel like we're sorting it out or is it just as confusing as ever? As ever? I'm completely confused. I don't even know anymore who is in which categories in which awards. So I think less uh, to me, it's less clarity than we had before. Before, I was very comfortable with the category fraud as a as a kind of steady, stable factor in a war season. But this whole seeming effort to kind of push against it, it's probably for the best, I guess. But but it's definitely like, you know, I don't know what's going on at this point. I will say, that I'm excited to see Jennifer Jason Lee in there for yeah. April 8 for supporting actress. You know, I, I don't know that that movie is works on every single level, but I think she's awesome, and, and that's a well-deserved nomination. Yeah, The Hateful Eight wasn't present in the SAG nominations at all, and it has a great ensemble, so you'd think that might be something that the uh, Screen Actors Guild would respond to, but it got a Jennifer Lee Jason Lee nomination, it got a screenplay nomination, uh, and, and for score, I think a lot of people thought it might show up in drama, so you know, that's the kind of, of the, and also The Revenant is another December movie that uh, did really well with these nominations. It was a Best Drama nominee, so kind of the, uh, and then Joy also showed up in the comedy category. So the kind of the sense that these December movies were foundering a little bit, I feel like the Globes have, you know, done something to bring them back into the conversation. I think the one to watch just based on SAGs and Golden Globes is The Big Short. I think mm-hmm. that they're so, they, they've, yes. gotten a, they've gotten a lot of acting nominations, you know, a Best Picture Best Ensemble, at the Best Picture Golden Globes, Best Ensemble at SAGs, screenplay nominations. So I you know, I think that if there was a movie, if there are movies kind of not in the top three this year, but sort of four and five, you know, we're talking Creed, blah, blah. I think The Big Short is kind of asserting itself as that, as like one of the the, the solid ones now. Um, it was kind of an unknown until this week. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think at this point, you got to think The Big Short is, is quite... Is almost likely to get a Best Picture nomination. And how about Christian Bale? Didn't he show up in SAGs as well? Yeah, he just kind of yeah. snuck up on, on all the movie nerds. We all thought, okay, Steve Carell's going to carry the torch for this movie. Personally, I like Ryan Gosling best of all. I oh, think. Ryan Gosling is so good in that movie. But, you know, Mike Ryan interviewed uh, our friend Mike Ryan, who's a movie writer, interviewed Christian Bale and said to him, you know, what's really crazy is you're such a good actor, you just sat in a room listening to death metal and made it interesting. You know, <laughs> That's kind of like the that's that's the part. It's just sit there and be anxious in a room. Well, and then a lot of these movies, I, and I think you know, maybe in my personal top ten, I was thinking a lot of these movies kind of you uh, you feel something, but there's not like an overarching thing that you walk out of the theater with. The Martian has that. I think Room has that. But Spotlight and Carol and The Revenant are kind of more contemplative movies that you're kind of you know you're sitting with and turning over in your head. And The Big Short just leaves you on this note of like justified outrage and like you feel so much in that movie. And I think that's a really powerful thing when it's coming in this crowded field. You're watching a ton of movies, and then this movie sticks with you because you remember exactly how you felt. You can't really underestimate that. Well, Adam McKay, uh, they had an event the other night. Michael Lewis and Adam McKay were there, and somebody said to Michael Lewis, you know, it's weird that they made such an outraged movie from your book because your book is probably the least outraged financial crisis book of all. This is basically the kind of amusing story of the guys who actually profited off the off the financial crisis. And one of the funny things that some of the uh, business writers there were pointing out is that these guys at some level also caused the financial crisis. The fact that they decided to bet against it had, had some 
kind of causal relationship with so many people losing their jobs and so many uh, institutions closing. But Adam McKay definitely, you know, he, he was saying, he's like, look, you just you can't read this stuff and not get pissed off. And I was going to, you know, there was an even more angrier version of the movie apparently before this, and they scaled it back a little bit. But you feel it. You walk out of there just like, oh, my God, what's wrong with our society? Yeah. And and that is true. There's a there's a heat coming off that movie that is, is not present in some of the other places. So, Mike, we've mesh- we've kind of tossed the SAG Awards, the nominations on the Golden Globes together in this big mess, and a lot there's a lot of overlap between them. But there's a really big difference between these awards in terms of who's voting on them and I think how much they reflect the Oscar race itself. Can you kind of give us the rundown on what's the difference between these two groups and you may, maybe which one of these matters more? Well, I think because there's there's actual overlap between Screen Actors Guild and the Academy that votes on the Oscars, the SAGs might be a little bit more indicative, right? We know that the Hollywood Farm Press Association that votes on the Globes is 80 sort of overseas, working overseas, living here journalists. I, I wouldn't expect that any of them are in the Academy. So, But they have so much more visibility than the SAGs that I do think they have a kind of, they have the effect of sort of steering the conversation, right, and clarifying it. And just as we're doing here, I think a lot of probably uh, people who vote in the Oscars are also looking at this list going, hmm, you know, especially maybe there's some movies they haven't seen, like, I guess I got to go see Trumbo if I haven't done that yet. So one is more kind of predictive, I think, the SAGs, and the other one is more kind of sets the narrative, uh, in my opinion. And Richard, do you feel like there's, I mean, I think we've all seen in the past, like the Golden Globes, as much as like Mike was saying, it's not predictive, like a Golden Globe woman can like make a difference, can like kind of be a part of your Oscar campaign in a big way. Like, do you see that coming for some of these people? Like if they win and shine on the stage, that kind of does it for them? Yeah, I think definitely. I think going back to the big short, I think that that, that movie is is helped by the fact that, you know, they split up comedy and drama. And so the big short, which is, it, it is a comedy, but like they can kind of sneak in there, get some kind of awards heat behind them, but not have to compete with the sort of big, you know, dramatic movies this year, the carols and whatever. I think that helps. And I think also, you know, it's just about visibility, you know, and and now we're going to see, you know, certain people on the red carpets and blah, blah, blah. And, and I think that the more of that, you know, the sort of better for any campaign. The thing that I think is, is kind of f- sort of interesting to think about or keep in mind is that, you know, while the SAGs and the Globes are are, are useful, they don't always inform the Oscars. I was, I was um, Guy Lodge, a critic at Variety, was sort of tweeting yesterday about the SAG nomination and about Charlotte Rampling not getting one for 45 years, a movie that we all really like, and she's fantastic in it. And he said, you know, I think that she's still going to sneak in and get an Oscar nomination, kind of like uh, Marion Cotillard did last year, sort of uh, for the for the uh, two days, one night. Mm-hmm. And she hadn't gotten anything else, um, not, yeah. a, not a Globe, not a, not a SAG nomination. A couple Critics Awards. Yeah, a couple Critics yeah. Awards, exactly. Yeah, so, which we'll talk about. But, but yeah, so I think that they are predictive and they are useful, but I think that they are, you know, the Oscars are very much their own kind of voting body. And, and so we, we don't know anyth- everything yet. Yeah. But Richard, don't you think, or and Katie, don't you think that as far as giving award speeches, it, it is there is a certain kind of rehearsal for your your speech. It would be tough to win best actor or best actress without at least being nominated in one of these these categories. And there there is definitely a sense that by the time you get around to the Oscars, you kind of know who's going to get up there because you've seen them accept at two or three other things. Yeah. I mean, the SAG Awards and the Golden Globes will both take place after the Oscar nominees are in. Like, the the ballots will be due before any of these take place. So it's not going to help you get a nomination. But you're right. Like, if Saoirse Ronan wins uh, Best Actress at the Globes for Brooklyn and she's charming and adorable, that might help people think, oh, yeah, that reminds you of how much you like her as opposed to Kate Blanchett or Brie Larson in that kind of insanely competitive 
best actress category. So yeah, there's definitely a, there's kind of a charm offensive that works its way into this uh, that I don't have a problem with, but some people think is ridiculous. Well, I, and I think that offense, <laughs> offensive is, is sort of an operative word there. Like I don't know if it necessarily is a detriment to any campaign, but like also in the kind of march to Oscars with a set, if you win a SAG and you give a speech, if you win a Globe and you give a speech, sometimes the narrative can start to sort of shift away from you. I mean, mm. it didn't hurt. Kate, Kate Winslet ended up winning the Oscar, but by the time she got up to the Oscars and was talking about it's not a shampoo bottle anymore. I'd be lying if um, I haven't made a version of this speech before I think I was probably eight years old and staring into the bathroom mirror and this would have been a shampoo bottle. Well, it's not a shampoo bottle now. People were sort of like, oh, I don't know if I like <laughs> Like these speeches kind of got a little bit. So I think that that's kind of, for, for me as a sort of like, uh, just like a popcorn eating viewer of these award shows, you know, let alone sort of the critical eye toward it. I think it's kind of funny to see um, a narrative like that kind of take place over these kind of lead up award shows. So I want to ask you guys uh, what we're excited to see happen now at the Golden Globes, because that's always a fun show to watch. Ricky Gervais is back to host, so we'll see what he gets up to. But I'm going to go first and steal what I think is the best one. It's just that uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Amy Schumer are nominated against each other in the Best Actress in the Comedy category. They're you know, famously new BFFs. They're writing a screenplay together. Uh, seeing the two of them on the red carpet will uh, you know, fuel internet traffic for days. I think Amy Schumer has the edge in that contest. I think kind of train wreck is a chance to kind of coronate her as this new huge comedy star, but you can't count on Jennifer Lawrence either. There's a really interesting race between the two of them, and they should uh, enjoy the hell out of it. Wow, you think Amy will beat Jennifer? I think so. I think, I mean, the reviews for Joy have been pretty mixed. I mean, I I think it's tough. Like, everyone loves Jennifer Lawrence, but Amy Schumer's had a really great year, and yeah, the Golden it would Globes be a really, chance to really crown her yeah, for this and, just year of, of ruling pop culture. And the Golden Globes really like embracing newcomers. They gave Gina Rodriguez the statue for Jane the Virgin when that show was brand new. They do that in television all the time. It's rarer in movies. So this is kind of an unusual chance to do that with a film. One thing I'm excited about is in the SAGs um, is that Nicole Kidman got nominated for Grace of Monaco, which is really fun because that movie everyone counted out. It sort of flopped at Cannes in 2014. Uh, it and feels like it's been out there for like three years. Yeah, I mean, it's been floating around, but uh, and I, I love it. I, lo- I love that it's. I love that it's that she keeps getting nominated for things and um, keeps getting to do red carpets if she shows up. And she's uh, great on a red carpet. It's a it's a vindication for her in that movie. Sure, Mike. What about you? What are you excited to see happen? I'm hoping for some type of Will, Jaden, and family Smith family musical number. I don't know if that's really likely, but that would be you know my entertainment peak of the Golden Globes at this point. I mean, the Golden Globes can do whatever they want, so why wouldn't they just <laughs> why do not? that? Jaden Smith, uh, what did he say was his best film of all time? Oh, Age of Adeline, best film he's ever seen. Well, except yeah. for Twilight. Except for Twilight. <laughs> yeah. We all have to kind of you know adding his voice to award season. Jaden Smith's Golden Globe fashion. nomination is. Right around the corner. It's happening in no time, so just get ready for that. (laughs) Before we move on, a quick word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by The Message, an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, We're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now... Um, Sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices, music, breathing... But, you know, I'm not going to mess with that thing. To sum it up, 
extraterrestrials. Subscribe to The Message on iTunes. So if you haven't been able to keep track in the last week or two of which films are winning Critics Awards, we totally can't blame you. There's been a ton of them, and there are still more to come, and there's going to be award shows, and no one in their right mind should know off the top of their head if Carol won with the New York Film Critics Circle or the Boston Society of Film Critics. It was with New York, if you're actually keeping track. Richard, to start with, why on earth are we paying attention to these critics when there is so much going on, and you were among these critics, so maybe you're biased? Because critics are the most important people in the world. (laughs) They're the only ones who get it. Um, No, I think that the Critics Awards, they do help kind of clarify um, an awards season a little bit, but I think that they're kind of the fun sort of alternative. I think that a lot of the, a lot of times these groups, you know, mostly sort of based around a a particular city, will, will sort of pick an out of the box kind of kind of choice or or you know give someone some love who who's probably not going to get it at the nationally televised award shows internationally televised award shows you know but i think when you come come up to something like new york film critics which they're they're a pretty influential group they showered carol with awards uh this year and i think that that was really important in keeping that movie at the front of people's minds you know i think that carol not getting a screenplay nomination at the golden globes is 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 kind of really too bad and sort of hobbles that movie a little bit. Although but it did get the drama. Not it did, yeah, no, and it got plenty of, you know, it got the two acting, so so it's it's still absolutely 100% in the game, but, um, you know, I think that uh, that all of the love from, from New York film critics helps sustain that movie, and, and then that's, I think that's that's a sort of a broader purpose that they serve, um, other than just kind of awarding kind of little scene things that, that deserve some attention. And you're right that in a lot of years, the critics groups will really clarify a race. I mean, the critics really went hard for the social network that year, and everyone thought it was going to win Best Picture, and then it was the King's Speech. They went really hard for 12 Years a Slave, which I think kind of helped make it clear that that film really had to win Best Picture, that it would have been a shame if it didn't. But this year, there hasn't been that kind of clarification, at least not yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of regional film critics groups left to go, but the New York Film Critics went for Carol, the Boston Film Critics went for Mad Max, the National Board of Review went for Mad Max, the National Board of Review is kind of a strange example of a... Uh, of a critics group, they're not really like everybody else. But uh, there, you know, there's. I think the Boston online critics went for Spotlight. There's a there's a lot of different options for it, and so there doesn't feel like to be one critical darling that's going to be picking up everything. No, it's true, and I think that's that's a really fun thing about this particular year for this kind of thing is that we're really all over the place. Though I do, I mean, you know, between the critics groups going for it and it getting a Best Director nomination at Golden Globes and Best Picture, I think there is so much heat behind Mad Max right now, and I mm-hmm. think that, the, I mean, it was my number one pick on my top ten list uh, for the year. Um, I think it definitely was the best movie of the year, or my favorite anyway. And so I think that's pretty exciting. And I think, yeah, that the, the National Board of Review that that came out that was like the first really one yeah they they are famous basically because they're the first ones to announce and uh it's always kind of unclear who is in the group and why they matter but to me it seems like it's it's the critics groups are doing something interesting which is putting a real stamp on carol and spotlight as as films that could actually win best picture and for some reason i feel that spotlight even more so than carol carol feels like such a critic movie to me, uh, even though I, I loved it a lot, and that, that it almost is like, okay, of course it won a critic circle thing. Mad Max, it, they're, they're giving it the kind of stamp of approval it needs to overcome the sort of 
questions that maybe a voter might have, which is like, is this a good movie? I don't even know what the hell I'm mm, watching. Yeah, here. It's, tit- yeah. it's title alone is sort of not, not the most <laughs> awardsy title. Yeah, and the fact that the fact that you know it was a big blockbuster and and a completely weird thing that you could say is brilliant, you could also say is just a, a totally bizarre. I think it's kind of cueing Oscar voters like, no, seriously, take this seriously. This is very artistic and legitimate, not just this like bizarre Australian kind of biker fantasy. He looked at me! He looked right at me! He looked at your blood bag! He turned his head, he looked me straight in the eye! He was scanning the horizon! No! I am awaiting! I am awaiting in Valhalla! I really like the idea of that because so often you think of critics being the scolds and being like, oh, Academy, you think you want to give Gravity Best Picture, but here's what you have to do. It has to be 12 Years a Slave. It's kind of making yeah. you eat your vegetables. And with Mad Max, it's kind of the opposite. It's like, no, 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 it's fine. Like, go, yeah, eat right, this candy. Yeah. It's good. I still don't. I really seriously do not envision a world where Oscar voters give Best Picture to Mad Max. I just, I just don't think that that world exists. I think a lot of these people are going to put in the screener and go, okay, if you tell me this is good, great, but I don't know what the hell is going on here. <laughs> but doesn't a nomination, a Best Picture nomination, seem way more possible than it did in like June? It seems really very, very possible and, and almost inevitable at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, do you uh, get kind of whiplash trying to pay attention to all these critics' awards? Do you kind of let yourself dive into it, or is it just kind of part of the... Uh, the wash of award season. Like, there's so much going on in two weeks that it seems insane for anyone to try to remember all of that's happening. I just rely on you to keep me <laughs> abreast of what's happening with the critic stuff. Honestly, yeah, it's just, to me, it's the wash. I sort of, as they're happening, I check in. Oh, okay, that's cool. I was really wondering, you know, Room was the, was the movie that was not showing up on any of these lists that was surprising me and making me question my own taste. And so I'm at least gratified to see it on the Golden Globes list, although I guess that doesn't really ratify my taste at all. <laughs> but it suggests that it might still be in the running for Best Picture because I really did like that movie an awful lot, not just the Brie Larson performance. And then there are some really hilarious, you know, the more arcane the critics groups get, the the sort of like more slapping myself in the head it is about some movies that I saw and thought were not good. Inherent Vice being one, you know, Glenn Kenny just insists that like this is one of the best movies of the year and you need to go back and see it again. So at some point I'd like to see it again. I didn't hate it. I just walked out of there going, what a mess. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the, that part is kind of fun where it's like, hey, take a second look at this, there's something artistic and valid happening here that maybe you didn't catch because you were you know, tired or busy or look at, trying to look at it through a certain kind of lens. Yeah, the way that critics groups works is so idiosyncratic. You get like 30 people in a room and they're all talking amongst themselves and someone nominates Kristen Stewart for Claude Cecil's Maria and then someone else says, oh yeah, okay, I like that performance. There's a way of influencing each other that doesn't happen on voting on the Golden Globes or especially on the Academy when you have a huge group of people who aren't communicating with each other where it's kind of voting in a vacuum. So you definitely get get the possibility for more oddball choices, which, like you said, Mike, like it helps keep things visible in a way that the Golden Globes is never going to be able to do. Yeah. And I, and I know from from even just writing a, a like a top 10 list or whatever, that it really is. I mean, the secret is it's kind of arbitrary. I mean, it's it's like you have a few kind of solid in mind, but like it's really just how you feel that day. Mm-hmm. And so any of these critics awards are how 
you know, 30 people feel is sitting in a room on a Monday or a Tuesday or whatever, you know, so it, it's interesting that it's that it's partly based on whim, but also can can kind of, you know, solidify some sure things. So it's a little bit of both, which I think is, is fun. Yeah, I submitted my uh, top 10 to the Village Voice poll and uh, immediately after submitting it, regretted not having Brooklyn on there. Oh, like, yeah. I just instantly. I put in some real weird ones for that, because why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so Richard, your, your top 10 is on uh, VanityFair.com right now. Uh, yeah. What do you regret about that already? Um, I still feel so weird about the putting I put Steve Jobs, I think, at number nine, and I really, really did like that movie, and I really do like that movie. But I've gotten so much flack from from other critics for it, and uh, you maybe know, me and Mike I'm here too. to give you yeah. more if you want. Yeah. I, can, yeah. I can do that to you. But I had to stick to my guns. You know, there were there were you know obviously I, I you know sort of listed some honorable mentions, including Brooklyn and things like that, um, at the end of the post, and any of those could have gone in. It just again was a whim. It was how I was feeling um, on Sunday night when I wrote the thing. So. Yeah. The fact that you put Mad Max at the top of it, I think, is really uh, interesting and indicative yeah. of how this process goes, where you're, like, sifting through everything you've seen in your head. And, like, you were at Cannes, you've seen all kinds of things, and you just kind of go, something keeps floating back up to the top. Like, you can't get rid of it out yeah. of your head, and you're like, well, I guess it's my number one. Well, I knew Mad Max for a long time. I, I knew that was going to be number one for, for a few months now. but And, and I, I thought I was going to be really cool and, and different and daring. <laughs> and then National Board of Review came out and had to be, you know, had to be the best movie of the year. And I was like, oh, I feel like my, my thunder was stolen. But but no, I, I'm I'm I, st- I stick with it, and um, I don't know. I hope it. I hope I don't know, Mike. I'm a little bit more sanguine on its Oscar chances. I think you know, Gladiator won Best Picture. It's true. So. And, uh, Gladiator it's... is less, much less weird. Yeah, I know. than this That's movie. True. Yeah. Like yeah. Le- like this is an extremely strange yeah. film, yeah. and it's it's wonderful. But I just you know, if you just picture. People who are, I, I kind of have this mental exercise that I do. I don't know if it's fair or not, but I picture like a 60-year-old person who made a whole lot of movies like back in the 70s or 80s, you know, giant plate glass windows in like a modernist house in Los Angeles with light streaming in, and they take a screener and put it in a DVD player from, you know, that's like five years old. Uh, you know, are they going to make sense of this thing or not? I just don't, I just <laughs> wonder. Probably, no, you're, you're right. Probably not. Yeah, that's the thing is that we, ha- we have to remind ourselves that a lot of people are seeing these things on screeners, not on a big screen, not kind of captive to it. They, you know, at home, they can be on their phone. They can, you know. Yeah. And I didn't see it on a big screen, and that may actually be influencing it. I saw it on a plane, on a oh. tiny oh. freaking screen. But oh. I, I, it was awesome. I thought it was yeah. really great. I was totally captivated by it. So it, I, I don't think you have to see it on a big screen. I just I just think, you know, when you have people who, ha- who are kind of like still call them pictures, I just don't know if they're going to be like, holy shit shit, this is great, or, or they're going to be like, what is this bizarre thing? But you know what? Maybe they remember the original Road Warrior and Mad Max fondly and, and are completely on board with it. I, I don't know. Well, it's worth uh, noting that all of these critics and, you know, who knows, the Golden Globes voters, too, are doing all of this voting without having seen Star Wars, and everyone or a lot of people are very torn up about it. I know that at least a few people kind of wanted to resist putting up their top tens before Star Wars screened yeah. for people. Well, speaking of critics, I did, I, I don't want to out anybody, but I did talk to one member of a very prominent critics group a couple weeks ago who told me that he is was going to abstain from voting because he would he refused to vote for a best movie of the year without having seen Star Wars. So, so maybe all of these results are skewed. Yeah, and yeah. then historians will look back and say, "Well, Star Wars was obviously the best film in 2015." What were all these critics well, groups doing? There was some. There was some question as to whether it was going to pop up on Golden Globes, which would have yeah. meant that that HFPA saw it. We still don't know if they saw it. I would That's have, the thing. Oh, I would yeah. have loved it if it had just shown up and like swept the board that just to great. drive everybody well, crazy. Well, let, let me ask a question though. Do we think is there any possibility that? 
they're not screening Star Wars because it doesn't really have any actual <sighs> awards possibility anyway, or is it purely just from a security standpoint of like Disney being like, it's just worth too much money to bother with this dinky award stuff? I we think it's worth. We can't let there be any chance that anyone leaks it. I think it's worth too much money. I mean, we just got our screening invite uh, or confirmation. Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Really? <laughs> okay. Mike, we'll, we'll go over this later. <laughs> uh, and it's like four paragraphs of like protocol about uh, yeah. turning in phones and all that. And like, stuff, do not so. dare bring a guest. You can't have one. Don't even try. Yeah. Yeah. You have to kill them at the door if you try. They, they're going to blind us afterward, <laughs> so we can never see anything again. Or mute us, so yeah. we can't tweet yeah. about it. That's really funny. And now, before we go home and uh, continue processing all these awards nominations, uh, it's time to go really, really big. Based on all of what we've learned from the SAGs and the critics and the Golden Globes, guys. What's your prediction of what's going to win Best Picture? I think just, you know, because it's kind of the narrative of the morning, I think that amidst all the carol and the room and all that um, talk, uh, I think Big Short's going to sneak in there and mm. get it. I think it's a rabble-rouser. It's got a great cast of actors that people like. I think that people like the narrative of Adam McKay going from comedy to, I mean, it's still a comedy, but but something more serious. And it's a very American story, which, you know, the Academy often, often likes. So I, I think Big Short uh, could be the kind of surprise winner this year. I'm sticking with my pet theory that uh, Star Wars comes in and just uh, clears everything off the decks and wins Best Picture. It's just based on nothing, except that the original Star Wars got nominated for Best Picture, and I just still feel like there's no big powerhouse right now. It's still such a crazy wide-open field. Something could easily come in and shake it up. We thought it might be The Revenant or Joy. Those don't seem to have done it. So uh, why not the last hope of the year? Why not Star Wars? Wow. <laughs> this is I, I'm fascinated by these picks. Um, I'm sticking with, I guess, a more boring pick of Spotlight. You were probably uh, the most correct, just to be fair. Well, <laughs> I just think, you know, early on we kind of thought, well, it doesn't have that giant sweep and it's not like a big overwhelming Oscar movie. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's wearing really well as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I keep thinking about it very fondly. I'm really excited to see it again. I I think it does have a lot of moral heft, and it's so scrupulously made that I don't think there's a chance of it getting torn apart down the line over some factual thing. I mean, I'm sure somebody will try. By the way, at some point, we should talk about the opposition tactics in award season, oh, one definitely. of the, my favorite topics. <laughs> I, you know, I could see something like the big short being much more vulnerable to that than, than Spotlight, just because it really is so subtly done. It's a great ensemble cast. I don't know. I'm just... I'm a believer. I, I'm, I'm fully on board. I think that you are uh, you are on the right track, and history may prove you correct, but I still like my <laughs> weird predictions. I love your weird prediction. <laughs> okay, that does it for this week's Little Gold Men. Thank you all for listening. You can find us all writing about award season and much more at VanityFair.com, and follow us on Twitter. I'm at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Mike, how about you? I'm at uh, Mike underscore Hogan. And Richard? Uh, Rylas, R-I-L-A-W-S. And you can find all of us and the podcast at Little Gold Men. This episode was produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Tim Einenkel. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes. It is a great way for us to find new listeners. And you can find us along with many more great podcasts at panoply.fm.
Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a, a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts.